Generations Church, welcome back to service. Good to have you here online. We're in 1 Samuel, as Alex just read to us. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to pick up right at the end of or after the next verse in where Alex left off. And we're, we're doing that kind of as we work our way through 1 and 2 Samuel. But before we get there, we developed something for you or put something for you on the website to make something easy for you. And here's, here's, here's what it is, a kind of a daily reading plan. Now, we started last, I guess it was August, and we started working our way through the whole Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Uh, we worked through that. Our, on Sundays, we did Exodus. We taught through Exodus. Our community groups kind of read through and studied the first five books of the Bible. We're continuing that series all the way through the Bible. And how we're doing that is teaching through some major sections. And so this first and second Samuel section, if you will, this portion of the Bible is the rise and the fall of the people of God, right? The rise and the fall of Israel, the nation Israel, the people Israel. And so it starts as the end, as Moses' life's end, and, and jo Joshua takes them into the promised land. So Joshua judges in the small book of Ruth that tells the story of one family. And then here we are, First and Second Samuel. And as we're seeing prophets and kings rise and fall, what we're seeing is how God is leading his people. And so what we've done, if you're not in a community group, but you'd like to follow along and work your way through this section of Scripture, we put a calendar on our website that has a reading plan. It starts tomorrow uh, working through, again, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. It'll take us through this section of Scripture that we're in. And so I'd love to invite you to join us and, and read through that. And it'll give you some background to this story. It'll teach you about the season that we're in in Scripture, right? All of that, so that as we gather together on Sundays, it'll give you just a little bit more. Now, if you're in a community group, community groups are going to stay on track doing the Read Scripture app, which is going to take them through the same section, but a little bit more. And that's got those video helps and things like that. That's a little larger commitment, if you will. And so if you want to just follow along, maybe you're unfamiliar with Scripture, get on our website, genfamily.church, and there is a drop-down menu that will give you the reading plan. One chapter a day, you can read along and kind of be with us in Scripture. Learn the stories that take place behind what we're studying on Sundays together as a church. Now, Alex just read to us this passage out of 1 Samuel, and there's a bit of two stories going on. It's about the sinful sons of Eli, the priest, Hophni and Phinehas. And then there's this contrast. There's these little passages about Samuel, the, the child that we left off with last week being dropped off by his parents, Elkanah and Hannah, given over to the priesthood, a young child. And so as he is growing up in a, as a godly child or as becoming a godly man, there's the sinful priest or the son of Eli, those two priests that are sinful. And so there's a bit of a contrast going on in the passage that Alex read to us today. And so we're going to pick up right there, but I'm going to give you a main idea. God's patience has a time limit. God reveals how our world is sinful and corrupt and our complicity in it so that we can change. God is patient, but at some time, at some time that patience runs out, right? God reveals these things to us so that we can repent, so that we can change. And God is patient. God is slow in moving with us and allows us the time that, it, that we require to change. But at some point, that patience comes to an end. How does that relate to us? So we're going to look at this passage, and I really want to ask that question, 
What is it that God is patiently waiting for you or for me or for us to work on, to change, to repent of, to turn to or turn away from? Let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, we love you. We gather today because of you. My prayer is that you would speak. Speak to us. We are your church, your people. We need your voice. Help me to fade somewhere into the background. And Jesus, would you use me? Help me to get out of the way so that you could use me to speak. That you might speak to us as your church, your people. I pray that there are those right now that are listening. Maybe for the first time. Maybe they've been joining us here and there. Maybe they're here live with us. But they don't know you. And they, maybe they want to know you. Or maybe you want to know them. And so, God, we just pray for that right now. For those that are joining that don't really have a relationship with you, may this draw them into that. And for those of us that do have a relationship with you, that you are our Savior, our God, our King, draw us nearer to you. Let us know that you are a loving, kind, and patient God, but there is an end to, sometimes, an end to that patience. And we don't want to be on the other side of that. Help us to be right where you would have us to be, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. 1 Samuel, we're going to start in chapter 2, picking up in verse 27. It says this, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Now, I, I, want to, I know there's more to this verse. I want to pick back up and I'll read that verse again. But I wanted to pause here. So we've met Eli already. He's the priest. I called him jaded last week because I think he is a little bit. I think he's put off by the culture that he leads people in. He is a spiritual leader, a priest. And, and the people that he leads, I think he's a little jaded by them. It's a kind of sinful, lukewarmish culture, if you will. And so when he sees Hannah praying to herself, he just kind of assumes she's drunk. We talked about that last week. And so we pick up, and, and Eli the priest, he's got these two sons, and they're priests, but they're super sinful. In fact, God has been speaking to Eli and revealing to him how sinful they are. And so Eli, as, as we kind of enter back into the story, a man of God, it says, comes and speaks to him. It's, and that's really the words or the language that the Bible uses for a prophet. Now, it doesn't name this person, but this man of God, this, this prophet, comes and speaks to Eli. So literally, God has been speaking to Eli. He's been telling him about his sinful sons. He's been telling him he's going to cut them off. And, and so he speaks to him, and now he sends somebody else to speak to him. God is trying to get his attention, and this moment, that's where he finally gets a hold of Eli, the priest. So here we go, verse 27, I'm going to start from the beginning. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings from, by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me, God says. Why do you honor your sons above me, God asks him. By fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people, Israel. I think this is the key to the entire passage today. As God sends a man to speak to Eli, the priest, he, he basically he calls out the sin that is taking place, but Eli isn't doing it. Eli's not the one that is really taking from the people, kind of extorting them spiritually. But Eli is aware of it. And Eli basically is complicit 
because he knows what his sons are doing and he's allowing this. So God says, did I not choose you? And, and this kind of brings us back to Exodus where we were before the end of the year, right before Christmas. We finished up the book of Exodus and as we studied through Exodus, God raises up a priesthood. He begins with Moses' brother Aaron and it's Aaron and his sons that become the Levitical priesthood. And so Eli, since we're right in the next section of this, right? After the people leave the wilderness and they go into the promised land, they displace the nations that are in the land, God gives them the land, then they kind of set up shop and they put together the tabernacle that they'd been tra traveling around with in the wilderness. And as they do that, the, the priests, generation after generation, are raised up and they serve the people of God. And so we're right kind of on the other side of that beginning, and now Eli is a priest, and his sons are priests. We see this priesthood being passed off, but by now the priesthood has become corrupt as well. And so God reminds him, did I not choose you, your family, in other words, Aaron, his sons, in which you, that's a part of your family? He says, so why do you let your, your sons do all this corrupt stuff to the people? Why do you let them take from the people? Why do you let them extort them? And then really he pushes back to Eli and he says, and why are you complicit in this sin by allowing this day in, day out, year in, after year after year, why do you allow this? In 1 Samuel 2, earlier just in this passage it was read, it says, now Eli was very old, Alex just read this to us, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of all the evil things from all these people. So Eli knows what's going on. The people are telling him, hey, your sons who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders, they're the next generation after you. They're, they're sleeping around and they're taking from the people and they're sinful and they're corrupt. Why do you continue to allow this, God asks. So we know that Eli knows because we just heard that read. And now God sends this prophet to speak to Eli and says, why are you complicit now in this sin? You keep allowing this to take place. So here's a note for you. When we are complicit, when we accept the sin around us, we become a part of the problem. God's critique of Eli is that he allows his adult son priest to continue in corruption. And I I write it that way, and, I, and we put that on the screen for you, his adult son. So it's not like Eli has these little kids that he's kind of wrangling. These are grown-ups, right? These are people that are choosing to do the things they're doing. But Eli is a spiritual leader. He is over them, and he knows the sin. He knows the corruption, and he doesn't stop it. So he becomes complicit in it. When we allow things to take place all around us, we become complicit. And I wanted to think of some examples today. Well, what, are, what would be some good ways where we're complicit? And I think when we say that, when we say, okay, when we allow sin or when we accept the sinful things around us, I think what we tend to do today is go externally. Oh, what are the things I don't do, they do? And, and maybe it's the other political party or it's this or it's that or whatever. And, and I I don't want to do that today. I want to ask, well, what are we complicit in? What do we accept that goes on, that we allow? What is it that is sinful, that is in our culture, that maybe it's in our homes or in our workplace or in our city or in our church? What is it that we accept and we don't do anything to change? I was just on a, uh, in a meeting uh, just uh, not too long ago with 
a handful of other pastors locally and some friends of mine. And this one young pastor who's planting a church in L.A., I was just sharing on his experience in prayer and fasting with his church and with his leadership. And I was convicted that, you know what, we don't do well with that. And we've talked about that before a lot with the church, that we ask people to pray together, gather to pray, and, and it's a struggle to get people to pray. And then I thought about, as he talked about fasting, I thought, man, I, it has been a while since I fasted. It was last year, and, and uh, we were all doing the rooted study together. 107 of us got together online only and did 10 weeks of a study together. And during that time, each of the groups fasted and prayed together, and they did it over Zoom. They couldn't even get together like normal. And I think that's the last time I fasted. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, but I think that's the last time I fasted. So maybe eight months ago. And I just thought about this as I was listening to others, and that is normal in the church today. Probably many of you listening have never fasted, or you haven't fasted since that, if you were a part of that. But that's just normal in the church today. Prayer and fasting gets so quickly discarded. And I just wondered, okay, where are we complicit? Where, where am I complicit in the sin that takes place around us? Verse 30, it says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I have promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. God says, time's up. Patience is over. I made a promise to you and the generations after you, but I'm not going to keep my word if you're not keeping your word. If you're not doing your end of the deal, I'll cut you off. And again, I would just ask this, where, where might this apply to us today? I thought of the example for me. Like, what if God says, listen, I have, I have taught you to pray. I've taught you to fast. I've taught you to seek me, not to depend on your own strength or your own ideas or your own gift sets or whatever it might be, not just me, but the church, is not to depend on human things, but to seek me, to, to have me empower Generations Church. What if God just said, hey, Jeff, you know what? Time's up. Like, I've been saying this over and over and over again. You're not listening. I'm going I'm to have another leader, right? I'm going to choose someone else to come in and lead. What about you and your context? Whatever it is you do or lead, maybe you lead a community group or maybe you're an elder or deacon here. Or maybe you tell your friends about Jesus, but God has been sharing with you or putting on your heart something that he wants you to change. What if God just said, hey, listen, I've been saying this for a long time now. And so now I'm not going to use you in that person's life that needs to come to Jesus. In fact, I'm going to use somebody else because they're listening and you're not. Imagine that. That's what God just said to Eli, the priest. He just said, listen, I've been saying this over and over again, and you're complicit in the problem now. You're not the one doing it, but your sons are, and you know what they're doing, and you haven't stepped up to stop it. Even though they're adults and they're guilty of their own thing, you haven't even gotten in the way, you haven't even tried. And so now, I'm going to cut your family off from ministry. That's what he says to Eli. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with an envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. There shall not be an old man in your house forever. Only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men 
Here's the prophecy God says through this prophet to Eli the priest for him, his complicity in the sin and, and, the, and the, the lukewarm culture of faith that exists in Israel under his leadership. First, he said, God says, I'm going to cut off your family. Your family no longer gets to be the priests here. You're out, right? And then second, he says, listen, I'm going to make Israel prosper. I'm going to make the people prosper spiritually. And, and they're going to grow and they're going to become a wealthy nation. But I'm going to do it apart from you and you're not going to get to be a part of it. And then three, like a mob boss, God says only one of your family members will remain just so we can watch, and it's going to stink, right? It's going to hurt. I'm going to kill everybody else because your family is so sinful. And Eli, your sin is that you know about the sin, and you did nothing to stop it. This is what God sends someone to tell Eli, the priest. Verse 34, and he says, and this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die in the same day. As often God would do, especially in the Old Testament, he would speak to people and he would say, now listen, here's the prophecy, here's what's going to take place. And, and you'll know it's me because here's the sign. And, and maybe it's the, the virgin birth in Jesus like we talked about just a month ago in Advent. Like, here's how you'll know. And then God says, and there'll be all these signs, and, and here's Jesus, right? And, and this one, he says, here's how you know it's me that, put your, that killed your sons. Both of them will die in the same day. Verse 35, and he says, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. And they shall say, please put me in one of those priest places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Here's what he says. He says, listen, I'm going to remove your family from ministry and I'm going to raise up someone else. So I'm going to replace you and then I'm going to use somebody else who is faithful. I was reading through, I started reading the Old Testament at the end of July, and I've just been reading through the whole Old Testament. I'm getting ready to finish it. And one of the things that I've learned is that there are so many things that take place in different time periods or in different books of the Bible, even that cover some of the same time periods. But there's so many consistent themes that it's amazing. And it's consistent to us today, too. It's, it's, it's as, as if people of faith have struggled with the same things all throughout history, right? And so we can learn from them. But here's uh, another passage and another, uh, this is way later in history, but 2 Chronicles 17 says this, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, who was the king at that time, because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, those are false gods, idols, but he sought the God of his father and he walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. Now this is hundreds of years later. This is way on the other side after the fall of Israel. So they're going to become a prosperous nation. King David will be the most prominent king, then Solomon. And then Solomon will have sons that will spiral out of control, each consistently getting pretty much worse for the most part. And the nation will split in half. Israel and Judah become two nations. The people of God will sever. And then God, and they will go into exile because of their sin. And, and it's all on that backside of the fall of Israel. There's this one king, Jehoshaphat. 
And un, unlike the rest of them, he actually honors God. And he doesn't worship false gods. And what happens is God blesses him for that. And God uses him in that moment because of his faithfulness. And so here we have Eli being removed from ministry because his complicity and his son's sins and, and just his being willing to not be what God has called him to be. And then we fast forward hundreds of years and we see this other king in a, in a very bad setting where Israel and Judah are very sinful, but this king rises up to be a worshiper of God. God punished this, punishes this family after a long drawn out, warning them, and giving them an opportunity to return, but they don't, so he removes them. And then over here, in the midst of this culture that doesn't worship God, here comes a king who actually does, and God blesses him. And here's what we can take away from that. When we follow what God has said, when we do what God has called us to do, God blesses that. God desires that. God wants that. God will use us when we're doing what God has called us to do. And when we drift off track, God will call us back and, and warn us and say, listen, no, over here, get back over here. Like, I want to use you, I want to use you to share the gospel with your family, with your neighbors, with your city, with your workplace, with the students that you go to school with, with whatever. I want to use you. I want you to be a light for me, but you're way over here, come back. But if we continue to reject that, if we continue to not listen, if we continue to become a part of the problem, not a part of the solution, God's just ready, or God will eventually be ready to just lift his hand off and say, you know what? You're on your own. Or, bad enough, he'll say, listen, I'll get rid of you, and I'll just use somebody else. And he says to Eli, listen, the only ones left in your family are going to be the ones that can watch this and grieve for the loss that you've had. 1 Samuel chapter 3 starts off, verse 1 says this, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So new chapter, new thing going on. Here it is, Samuel, Samuel the young boy that was dropped off by Hannah this miraculous pregnancy and birth, this covenant with God where Hannah said, if you just give me one son, I will give him to you and he will serve as a priest forever. In fact, he will come under a strict set of vows and he will serve you forever. And so God honors that prayer. She has this child. She names him Samuel. She brings him back. As soon as he has done breastfeeding, as soon as he is right there ready to go out on his own, she brings him over and she hands him off to Eli. And Eli, the one thing we can say for Eli, in the midst of his son's sin, which he is complicit in, which he doesn't stop, he does raise Samuel to follow God. And so here is this young boy growing up, and he's being raised in the temple with Eli, the priest. And this beginning of this chapter sets us up with uh, some really strong imagery, right? It, it, it talks about here, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. God isn't speaking because the people aren't really listening, right? Because the people aren't doing what they should be doing, so God just quit talking. Just imagine that for a minute. A lot of people wonder where God is in their life, and then you ask them, like, well, when was the last time you prayed, or read scripture, or attended church, or went to your community group, or, or like, listened for God? And you wonder why he's not talking. Maybe we're not listening, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's us. Maybe that we need to hear that. But then it says, Eli, whose eyesight has grown dim, right? The 
The priest with these wicked sons has grown old. His day is, is almost over. Anyhow, God has been, in fact, God has been so patient. It's not like Eli is taken out of ministry at a young age. He's given all this time, right? He's an old man. It says his eyesight is growing dim. He is losing his life. But then it says this, but the lamp of God had not yet gone out. There's this beautiful hope, right, in that verse that God's light is still shining. Now, the voice that God might not be speaking a lot to people, and the priest might be kind of leaving and dwindling, but there's still hope. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It's a beautiful line, really reminding us, almost like a powerful movie that teases out, but there's still hope, right? In the, in the, in the Star Wars series, right? Ah, oh, there's still another. You're like, what? There's another Jedi coming? This is amazing, right? God does that in this moment. The lamp of God is not yet out. There's still hope. God is still moving. God is still acting with his people here. Verse 4 says this, Then the Lord said, called Samuel, and Samuel said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, or, excuse me, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, Eli said, I did not call you. Go lie down again. And so he went and laid down. So here's what happens. God calls out to Samuel. Samuel. And so Samuel pops up, wakes up, and he's like, here I am. And he runs over to Eli. He's like, what? You called me. Eli's sleeping. He's like, go back to bed, man. I'll call you. Go, you're, no, I didn't do that, right? So Samuel goes back and lays down. Verse 6. And the Lord God called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he, Eli, said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Like, quit bugging me. I'm trying to sleep here. Go lay down, right? I'm not saying anything. Go, go relax. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. This is so powerful. Samuel is young. He's, he's being raised to follow God. He's being raised to be, in fact, we see this as a good priest. And so God begins to speak to Samuel, but Samuel doesn't really know God's voice. Samuel logically assumes the only other person in the, in the house is Eli. Eli must be talking to me. So Samuel, here I am, and he runs to Eli. He says, Eli, what? Eli says, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. It's not me. Go lay down again. And it happens again. And he goes and does it. What happens is Samuel just doesn't know when God is speaking to him. I think this is the condition of many Christians today. I think many people that follow Jesus just don't know how to hear from Jesus, right? That they, they're believers, they're Christians, they've been baptized, they go to church or whatever, but they really don't know God's voice. I think that is something we as a church, generation church, we need to press into this year. Do we know God's voice? Do we listen? Do we make time regularly to hear from God? So I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Here's a 2021 goal for us, for Generations Church. If uh, if hearing from, if you're hearing, sorry for the typo, if you're hearing from God is dependent on anyone else, pastors, youth leaders, parents, community group leaders, whatever, your next door neighbor, your donkey, whatever, whatever works, right? If your hearing from God is dependent on anyone else, make 2020, 2021 the year you learn how to daily hear from God yourself. Learn how to hear God's voice on your own. Learn how to read scripture and learn how to pray and listen for God. Learn how to hear from God on your own. 
verse 8, says this, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. So here's that moment, and it's this tipping point in the book even. Here's the moment where God stops speaking to Eli and begins speaking to Samuel. He's calling out Samuel, Samuel, here I am, but Samuel doesn't know it's God. And so he runs to Eli. Well, Eli doesn't know what's going on. He wants to go back to sleep. So finally it happens a third time and it clicks. Eli realizes it's God speaking to him. Samuel, I want you to go back and lay down again. And if God does it again, I want you to say, here I am, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. And so he goes back and lays down. But here it is. Here's that moment. God doesn't speak to Eli anymore. God is now speaking to Samuel. So here's a warning for us today, and we'll put this on the slide, on the screen. Just as God switches from Eli to speaking to Samuel, God's patience can run out on us who lead today. Are we listening to God and repenting regularly? Again, are we listening? Are are we asking God where we're off track? Are, Are we listening to God when God speaks? Are we acting on it? Are we turning from things that we shouldn't do? Or are we turning towards the things we should be doing? right? That sin of commission, the things that we're doing that are wrong, are we turning away from them? Or the sin of omission, the things that we're not doing that we should be, are we turning and doing them? How long is God asking and and telling us before he just says, okay, I'm going to go talk to somebody else? And this is that moment. Eli no longer gets God to talk to him. Now God is speaking to Samuel. Verse 10, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Samuel's heard all along. He just didn't know. He didn't know God was speaking to him. So now he's learned. Eli kind of filled him in. He just, now the difference is he knows it's God's voice, right? Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now, there's something really important that takes place here. Not only is God transitioning to whom he speaks, right? But God confirms what he will do, right? God repeats to Samuel what he's already told through the man of God to Eli, Right? And he confirms not only what he's going to do to Eli, but he also confirms now that Samuel is his prophet. Right? Because before it was this unnamed prophet who went and spoke to, to Eli to tell him what was going on. Because God really stopped talking to Eli when Eli quit listening. Right? And now the prophet is Samuel. God speaks to Samuel and tells him what's about to happen. Verse 13, it says, And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrificing or offering forever. There's this consistent theme in Scripture that God has this slow and patient and generous nature. But there comes a time when that slow, patient generosity mercy ceases. 
And sometimes it's with people outside the faith. Sometimes it's with Pharaoh who got 10 plagues over all of Egypt, right? And, and sometimes he was like rejecting God and then he'd give in and take it back and whatever. But then finally, the 10th plague is the one where God told Moses, listen, this is the one that breaks him and we're moving forward. Same thing happens with, with Eli. There's this moment where God just says, okay, no longer a time to repent. No longer can he just go into the temple, confess his sins, offer sacrifice, repent, and I take him back. See, here's the gospel, right? We, we talk about the gospel, every, every message, everything we talk about today, any day, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter, it's all about Jesus, right? Jesus is our Savior. Our gospel message is Jesus, that God created us and loves us, right? And that God designed us, that we are to be in relationship with God. We talk about that a lot. We talk about how our sin draws us out of that relationship and that it severs it. It like divorces us from God, but God loves us so much that he sent Jesus and that Jesus enters into human history and he lives a sinless life, the life that you and I are supposed to live, but we don't. And then he dies the death you and I deserve that he doesn't. And he does so to take our penalty and reconcile us to God. And then the part we love, Jesus raises from the dead and gives us new life. He ascends back to heaven where he sits on his throne today. And he pours out his spirit on us to empower us to live. And we love celebrating all those big pieces of the gospel. And then we anticipate Jesus' future return where he fixes the broken world that we live in. And he comes and he reigns in person, and just eternity takes place. But what we don't talk a lot about here is that one day, that offer to you and to me, one day that's over. Whether it be because we don't listen, or we don't repent, or we never turn to Jesus, someday the offer is over, right? There's this time and place that will come where all of a sudden, everything God wanted to do for us, everything God wanted to do for us as a church, me as a, a Christian, me as a pastor, me as a leader, you, for whoever, as an unbeliever, there's, there comes a day when that's over with, and we move on. And God is waiting patiently for people, not only people just to come to faith, but for those of us that are followers of Jesus, for us to receive the blessing God wants to give us today. Remember, God takes from Eli, but in that other passage where we read about that king, Jehoshaphat, God gives to him. See, what God wants, he wanted to give to Eli. He wanted to give Jehoshaphat. He wants to give to me. He wants to give to you. He wants to pour out that blessing on us. We're the problem for the most part sometimes, right? He wants to shower us in strength and blessing and healing and, and all of that. But when we don't listen, he's not able to do that in us or with us or for us or through us. He wants to save our next door neighbor or our spouse or our friend, but we're not listening. We're not acting. We're not doing what God has called us to do. So I said, okay, listen, well, I'm just not going to use you. I'll use somebody else. Or we're hearing the gospel over and over and again, but we're not responding to it. Well, then sometimes people die. Well, sometimes that, that, that ship just sails, if you will. And that's what happens in this moment. James says it like this in James 4, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. See, we all live this life like we think it's going to be a long, long time. If coronavirus has taught me anything, it is, it is not predictable who gets it, who doesn't get it. It's not predictable who gets it and gets over it or who gets it and dies. This world is unpredictable. 
We don't know that tomorrow will be there. We don't know that tomorrow is guaranteed. In fact, I will just say this. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. There comes a time when life is over. How do we want that time to come? Do we want it to come and, and we got all the blessings that God wanted to shower on us or we barely skated by? Or we came to faith or we didn't come to faith? Do we want to stand in front of Jesus and say, listen, man, I rejected you for most of my life, but in the last five minutes I came to you, right? Or we want to say, listen, man, the first time you called my voice, I'm so grateful I responded to you. There comes a time when everything is over. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. So Samuel's gotten this bad news to Eli, like, hey, the time's come. God's going to do what God said he would do. Like, Eli never changed. Samuel doesn't want to tell Eli that it's coming. So verse 16, it says this, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that God told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he has told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Listen, Eli says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. See, only real good words we get from Eli in this is that he hears this and he understands, you know what? God's right. I didn't listen. It's God. If this is the right thing, okay. Now, it would have been great if Eli just said, hey, no, I'm going to change way back here. I'm going to cut my sons off. I'm going to teach them better. Whatever could have happened. But at the end of his life, he knows this is right. He knows that Samuel should lead and that his son shouldn't. He knows that his time is done. He knows that their time is coming. It's an amazing perspective. And we'll put this on the screen. Eli knows that God is right and his punishment is best. Because Eli knows that God's kingdom is greater than our own. How could this perspective shape us? Eli knows that God's kingdom is greater than Eli's kingdom. God's kingdom is greater than my kingdom. That, that what God does is right. What God does that is best for everyone, what is best for the kingdom, that is best for his glory, that's right. And even though Eli will receive negative, he will receive the punishment that he's actually due, he'll be cut off. Now, he's a believer. He's going to go be with God in heaven, yes, but his sons didn't get to be good leaders, and he didn't get to see the prosperity of the people, the growth of the people that God wanted to do in his day because he wouldn't do it, because he wouldn't tell his sons to knock it off, because he wouldn't cut his sons off, because he was complicit in the problem. And so he knows his time is done, and, it, and it's right that God should use someone else. Verse 19, and we'll close with these last three verses. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And is, all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So we have this big transitional passage today. This transition goes from Eli to Samuel. Eli's out, Samuel's in. The handoff, if you will, which really wasn't a handoff, it was God taking and God giving. But the transition's been made, and it, it ends with all of Israel. All the people knew Samuel was the right one. They knew this was the guy that God is using and so we see this kind of, okay, the time has come now, and the transition, Eli's out, Samuel's in. 
And the books are named for Samuel. We know that Samuel is going to be a key figure. We know that Samuel will be a key role in these, these prophets and kings that we're going to look at. But I just want to, I want to ask us as I close it, I want, to, I want to challenge us today, where are we like Eli and not like Samuel? You see, we always love to be the hero of the story. We love to insert ourselves like, oh yeah, I'm totally like Samuel. And you know, my spouse or my neighbor, they're so much like Eli, right? But today we've got to ask ourselves, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to listen to God and ask, where am I like Eli? Where am I not listening to God? Where am I not repenting where God is calling me to repent? And so Generations Church, I want to ask us today, will we begin to pray differently in 2021? We had the craziest of all years in 2020. 2020, 2021 is not starting off well. We're still very, very much under restriction. People are sick and dying all around us right now. I just met with some uh, medical leaders in LA County and January, so far statistically the worst month of the whole pandemic. I want to just, as a church, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader, as one of us, I just want to say, where have we gone wrong? Where where can we be different? Where is God speaking that we need to respond? What have we done that we need to stop doing and repent of? And what has God called us to do that we haven't done? Would you pray with me for that? Would you ask of yourself, where are you like Eli? Would you pray to God and say, God, where am I not listening to you? Where am I ignoring you? Where am I complicit? Where am I the problem or part of the problem? Would you be willing to take that brave prayer and step with me, with us, together this week? Where is it God is calling us to go before the time runs out and God just says, you know what? I use somebody else. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you came and lived and died and rose again. You did all the things that were the hard things to do, and you did them for us. You've achieved them. It's not our hard work. We could never work hard enough to please God. We just respond to all the work you've already done. We live out of the power of the Spirit you've given us. We have faith because you give us faith, but then you allow us to kind of plug our ears sometimes, and then you speak a little louder, and then you Really, as we kind of pull our fingers out of our ears, you talk to us and you give us the opportunity to respond to you and you give us the opportunity to ignore you. And we're human and we ignore you way too much. As Christians, we should be so much more. We should know your voice. Your voice should be as familiar, more familiar than our spouses, our kids, our parents. We should know your voice. Help us to know your voice. And when we hear your voice, let us respond quickly, bravely to what you call us to. Jesus, we love you. Help us to love you better. It's in your name we pray. Amen.